3, Colossians chapter 3, and verse number 16. If you were with us last week, you know we began a mini-series attempting to explore scriptural teaching uh, that can serve as a guide for decisions about music, for both our private listening and for our corporate worship. And when it comes to glorifying God, the book of Ephesians makes it very clear that our conduct matters. What God the Father is doing, he's doing by Christ through the church. He's doing it to the praise of his glory. But now as a church, see that you walk worthy, that you conduct yourself in such a way that contributes to the glorification of God. Our conduct does matter. And in chapter 4 of Ephesians, one reference point for conduct that glorifies God is that it is in contrast to the lifestyles of those that don't know God. Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind and so on. And one of the, the primary reasons why music is such a big part of that whole lifestyle discussion and why we must practice discernment about music is because both God and the devil are musical beings. When it comes to uh, the, even the artistic nature in man, that capacity is a reflection of the image of God in us. Our God is a musical being. And by God's design, as we saw in the life of King Saul, music has a significant impact on the whole man, the, the physical body, the emotional, mental state, and in his case, even this whole matter of the affliction of, of uh, the demon um, was impacted by David's coming and playing skillfully on the instrument. And music impacts the whole person. And we also attempt to practice discernment in music because God has instructed that it be an integral part of corporate worship. That's the case in both the Old and the New Testaments as we explored it last week. And, and God's designed it to be that way because, because music and, and poetry and all of the arts communicate movements of the, of the inner man that just the reading of a bare text alone doesn't. And so it, it helps to carry uh, the inner man's expression of affection and emotion. And it communicates and engages man on that level. And another big reason why we practice discernment is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, we learn there what we all instinctively already know, and that is that music is a form of communication. And in order to be truly edifying, uh, the sound and the lyrics must be communicating a consistent, singular message. Uh, music is not just one thing. It's not just lyrics. It's not just sound. Music is the combination of those things. And 1 Corinthians 14 talks about the need of the trumpet to, uh, to blow a certain sound, a distinct sound, so that uh, the, the message is communicated. And against all of that backdrop, again, we're just reminded that, that the devil is also a musical being. And he would pervert uh, what God has determined to use to bless man and to bring man to worship him and to 
impact the whole man for his honor and glory, the devil would seek to pervert that to the hurt of man and to the dishonor of God. There are spiritual songs that promote the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, and there are sounds that encourage the display of the lust of the flesh. Again, we must practice discernment. That was last week. Tonight, we've turned to this text here in Colossians 3 because it's going to point to several necessary qualities for a positive spiritual impact. And I want us just to read verse 16, and then we're going to uh, walk back through uh, all that it says about what contributes to a positive spiritual impact. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What are the, what are the necessary qualities for a positive spiritual impact? And you can note right away that a positive spiritual impact in music begins with content that is saturated with the words of Scripture. And we're talking tonight in particular about sacred music or music ministry. What are, what are positive, uh, what are qualities that, that make music ministry to have a positive spiritual impact? And the first one, again, is that it has content that is saturated with the words of Scripture. It starts with the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And what that is going to take is that, first of all, the authors are word-saturated. The most helpful authors of Christian music will be, first of all, Bible students, and secondly, musicians. They first of all know the word of God and they are full of the word of God and they are able to then to communicate the word of God through music. But it starts with them knowing the scripture. And it also means that authors start composing occupied with the text of scripture before they're occupied with the sound. And and I can illustrate that to you from the whole realm of preaching. Yeah, I remember a young uh, preacher boy, uh, he would be amused and ashamed, <laughs> embarrassed, okay, about this. Today he's actually handling the scripture faithfully <clears throat> um, on a regular basis. But when he was in the 10th grade, he came up to me and he said, Pastor Fuller, he was preparing for a, a preaching contest. And he came up to me and he said, Pastor Fuller, he's full of excitement. He said, I have this incredible illustration to finish my message with. And I said, great, what text are you preaching from? And he said, I'm still working on that. (laughs) He clearly had the cart before the horse, all right? He had this great illustration to wrap everything up with, but he's just now trying to find a text to tack his illustration onto, okay? He's missing it. In preaching... We, we sometimes emphasize that a man, a preacher, can start with one of two questions in mind when he starts to prepare for preaching. He can start with the question, you know, what can I say about this? And again, uh, I'm trusting that the desire is sincere to honor the word of God, 
but he can start with, what can I say about some topic in the Bible? Or he can start with, what does this say? That is, what does this text of Scripture say? And when he starts with, you know, what can I say, there's a sense in which he's a creator of sorts. You know, what can I, what, what can I put together all about a certain theme and, and outcome a message? Or he can start by being an investigator. What does this passage say? And in one case... It's almost as if he's kind of over the, the whole thing. He's, I'll take this and this and this. And, and, and seriously, in something like what we're doing tonight, we're far closer to that. When we take a topical approach, okay, than what we try to do on a regular basis, and that is just start with what does that passage actually say and discover why was that passage in the Bible? What is the mind of the Lord for that particular passage? And get to his mind. And in that case, it's not like I'm over this, trying to put all these ingredients together to make my message. But in that case, there is a sense in which the scripture text is over me, and I'm under obligation to find out what it says and proclaim that to God's people. And when it comes to this whole arena... Uh, of music musicians need to get that order right as well because if we don't get that order right a musician can just be occupied with a sound <clears throat> that they think is a really neat sound and now i'm just going to try to find some words to go with that sound now in many cases uh, we could come up with something both in preaching and in music that may not be terribly damaging, but over the long haul, the impact will be met. And in some cases, when it gets to this whole, around, this whole realm of music, there's a whole philosophical undermining that is taking us down different directions. Um, I, I have been blown away, and I really mean, there are some things that you know, I see, and I'm just, Ugh, I can't be, you know, kind of can't believe that. I wish they wouldn't do that. I'm just grieved. But I really mean I have been just blown away that there is a new interest in formerly conservative ministries attempting to use music produced by Hillsong. I really am I'm blown away by it. There are so many layers. You can go look it up for yourselves. You can find broader evangelical churches that tell you why they've ditched Hillsong. Um, you, can, you can find the articles for yourself. I mean, they have deep, charismatic roots, serious theological flaws that have been known for decades. In addition to that, the whole realm of their ministries with their multiple satellites has just been rocked with immorality. That is amazing. <clears throat> and, and there's more to that. But when you actually just go back and listen to what they say about their own music, they are missing on this very first point of starting occupied with the text of Scripture. You, one of the leading, leading Hillsong musicians for years, said this in a documentary. He said, you can come up with a pop song. It doesn't matter what it's about. 
If it sounds good and feels good, that's great. A documentary went on to say all Hillsong's music, when I say documentary, it's not somebody doing an expose. Okay, this is an approved documentary promoting the ministry, and it's been done within the past decade. All Hillsong music falls in the same anthem-like, emotional, soft rock genre, but with a plethora of creative ideas. It's almost like a form of meditation. Close your eyes and repeat, repeat, repeat. They do design it to get you into this zone. Michael John Warren, the director of the Hillsong documentary, says. It's about the music. It's about the music getting you into the zone. It's about you feeling good about the sound. And we'll try to give you some words about Jesus too and hopefully save your soul. Seriously. But it's about a pop sound first that people feel good about. Then the words. But what a passage like this is teaching us is that the music that will have the most positive spiritual impact starts with a word-saturated text. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It, It starts with a confidence in the words of Scripture. It is the word that brings saving faith. You've known the Holy Scriptures from a child that are able to make a man wise into salvation. It's the word that sanctifies. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's the word that cleanses. Now are you clean through the words that I've spoken unto you. It's the word that enlightens. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It's the word that produces disciples. It's the word that a musician should target God's people going away with. The most helpful songs have clear, substantial, scriptural messages. Start with the word of Christ having a rich dwelling. Then, secondly, here in this text, that that positive spiritual impact of music has, secondly, a life-changing purpose. To have a positive spiritual impact in music it needs to intentionally have a life-changing purpose. Hey, what are we talking about? Look again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Doing what through music? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Hey, music is designed to do, in many respects, what preaching is to do. I'm supposed to be teaching and admonishing. And our music, if it's going to have an impact, is going to be teaching and admonishing as well. Now, brethren, easy listening music is easy to listen to because it doesn't demand anything of you. That's the whole point. You don't have to think about much. And honestly, even when it comes to preaching, there's some... Preaching I will listen to when I have the time to sit there with my Bible open and taking notes because it's going to be demanding that I have to look into it. There's preaching that is much more just kind of devotional, inspirational, and so on, and it's not going to be as demanding. In the same way, there's music that is just kind of, you know, easy, 
feel good. There's musical techniques that actually contribute to the diminishing of conscious intellectual activity. I mean, New Age music is going after that effect purposely. And the potential dangers of that are frightening. But when we take this discussion into the realm of Christian music and and worship, again, one pitfall is for Christian people to think that they have had a spiritual experience that we call a blessing. When what they're having is a really good emotional feeling. Okay, that's dangerous. Last time we noted that there are various pop musicians testify that rock music celebrates and it promotes uncommitted, unrestrained lust. Okay? Those styles that do that are wrong because of the immorality involved. They're just categorically wrong, immoral. But there are other sounds Okay, that, are, that, that can be hurtful, not because they are immoral, but because of the potential for deception. Uh, when we lived in Nova Scotia, many of the visitors that would come to see us wanted to go to Prince Edward Island. And I love to go to Prince Edward Island. We, we lived about 40 minutes from uh, the ferry on Picto that you could take over the Northumberland Strait over to... Um, Prince Edward Island and one day we had a college girl and a high school girl uh, from our previous ministry they had come up and um, we uh, we took the ferry over and our first stop was in Charlottetown where we were looking for souvenirs and one of the girls came back um, to to the vehicle she had bought a soundtrack of the Anne of Green Gables music and um she asked if she could play it in our band stereo. I know some of you are just going to, you know, it's going to be a bad check mark against me right now. But I enjoy Anne of Green Cables. Okay? And I enjoy the music. I tried to make my boy sit down and watch it with the girls. Okay? Um, we put that in. We put that soundtrack in. And it, we put the soundtrack in. And we're driving on a day that was a perfect sunny day on Prince Edward Island. When we went with our missions team here a couple years ago, it was rainy and cloudy. It wasn't a perfect sunny day at all. But that day it was. And we're driving across the island. And I'm serious. Everything was green. Uh, Some of their their flowers were in bloom. Crops were coming in. Uh, We drove out to Cavendish Beach. And the ocean was incredibly blue. And it was all beautiful. Sometimes you see, you know, movie scenes and you wonder, is it really that beautiful? Cavendish Beach is really that beautiful. It is to this day. <clears throat> and and, and it, was, it really was all incredible. But while we were driving, others who were in the van had fallen asleep. And the scenery was incredible. And the music put me, me into a dreamy, kind of nostalgic, emotional state. I, and... And seriously, I, I started having flashbacks to my childhood. And I found myself actually driving alone in that vehicle, getting choked up. Okay? I, you know, my eyes are getting a little watery. I can feel it in here. <clears throat> and I'm thankful everybody else is asleep. And I'm like, I have got to get control of myself. Okay? 
And I, I made myself think about what was happening. And some of the nostalgia, and some of you know my family background, but when my dad was in our family, we lived out in the country, and some of those scenes, and I, really, I was just having flashbacks to great days of my childhood. But, but when I stopped to think about what was happening, okay, I realized that some of that sound of, of Andrew Green Gables we're hearing in some of our Christian music. It's a sound that if we are not careful, can put young people into a, a superficial, emotional frame of mind um, at Singspirations, at campfire services, other forms of prolonged, subjectively oriented occasions. And the, and the fruit is often, seriously, teary-eyed testimonies that are just full of syrup, okay, from, from young people that have never before had anything really substantial in terms of a commitment to Christ, and who, in time, you start to realize go out really unchanged after the occasion, but they're convinced they just had a positive spiritual encounter. That day actually helped me understand something that went back to the time when I was a youth pastor. When I was a youth pastor, our senior high had inspirations every month. Our junior high had them every other month. We're looking forward to starting some of that even here. But when I started doing that, we would take a certain hymnal and the hymnal had some hymns in it, but it also had some newer songs that, that um, I don't think are a problem in themselves, but they tend to this whole direction. Okay. And, and I started just as a youth pastor. Without, I didn't have any more thinking about all this, but I, got, I actually got to the place I dreaded our singspirations. Because somewhere in singspiration after singspiration after singspiration, Somebody would say such and such a song, and, and it, it would tend us all down this uh, more emotional, subjective, nostalgic, sentimental kind of sound, and then another one of those would be picked, and then another one would be picked, and then people would give these testimonies. I told Mr. Whitehead this morning, I wasn't sure I was going to say this, but seriously, the one that just sealed it for me was when this 11th grade girl and we loved her. We're trying to minister to her. But she had no testimony of living for the Lord. But at Singspiration, she'd give something. And the last one, seriously, is about all of what God had done about her cat's paw. I know you hear the stereotypes about that, but this was for real. I mean, God showed himself in such a wonderful way about the paw of her cat. And I, you, you love your animals. I loved the one that we had, I miss her, you know, our little dachshund. But this girl didn't have a testimony for her, and today she hasn't lived for the Lord. She didn't live for the Lord. Ever. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm sick of all this syrup in our, tes- in, in our syncerations. So I stopped using the hymn that we were doing, and I started taking our hymn books. Just our hymn books. I thought if our hymn books are good enough for our corporate worship as adults, they're good enough for our teens. And you know what happened? It changed. The feel of our singspirations changed. The feel of the singing changed. The testimonies changed. The people who gave the testimonies changed. I started enjoying our singspirations again. I couldn't really sort that out. I had a hard time even talking to anybody about it. 
until I'm driving on Prince Edward Island and I'm hearing the same sound and I'm realizing I'm having this great feeling but it's the same feeling that could happen at a campfire service in many cases or a syncopation time if you're not careful and everybody call it a blessing but what we just had was a good emotional feeling <clears throat> now I think there's a place I think there's a place where I just said I enjoyed Andrew Green Gables I'm glad to listen to the soundtrack but, but brethren the, the issue with it isn't the immorality involved the issue with it is the deception that I just had a spiritual experience of what I may have had was just a good feeling. Now, I have mentioned before, but I want to go back because I think this illustrates it at, at, at great length in a profound way. There's an opening statement of a USA Today article that reads this way. In many U.S. churches today, worship musicians bang the drums for God and singers croon as if Christ was their boyfriend. The article continued by telling the story of um, an undercover, truly undercover, student at Liberty University. This was in 2007. Kevin Roos transferred from liberal Brown University to the evangelical conservative Liberty University. It was not because he had con converted. He actually describes himself as agnostic, at best, he will say. His intention was to enter the student body undercover and write a book about what most of the country would refer to as fundamentalist Christianity from the perspective of an insider. And the result was uh, his book, The Unlikely Disciple, uh, which was published in 2009. But late in the book, he recounts a, a sensation he experienced during two different worship services held on Liberty's campus of the week of Easter. And he begins by describing the second event, which took place during one of their Easter morning services at Thomas Road Baptist Church. And he relates, I'm quoting him, during the second service, while I'm singing the same three resurrection hymns I sang last time, I found myself getting swept up in the mass joy. And then he elaborates by describing the first occurrence of this sensation in more detail. So I'm just going to read this. In honor of Holy Week, Liberty held a special communion service in a basketball arena. It was a pretty spectacular sight. A hundred-foot cross was constructed on the floor of the arena with thousands of grape juice-filled plastic cups and an industrial-sized bucket, buckets of communion wafers sitting on the top. The whole thing was spotlit from above, which gave it a strange ethereal glow. After the communion service, the campus praise band played a song called Make a Joyful Noise to the Lord. It's a catchy, upbeat number. The only thing that distinguishes it from the 20 other catchy, upbeat numbers in the praise band's repertoire is that this one has built-in audience participation, where the front man sings the title line, the congregation whoops and hollers, literally making joyful noises. That's when it happened. When I heard thousands of Liberty students erupting in joy all around me in a dark arena with a huge glowing cross, I got that tingling sensation. This time, it began to feel like there was a string connected to the top of my head, and it was being pulled slowly upward toward the ceiling. 
Pretty soon, I was joining the rest of my classmates in shouting and cheering, not out of any duty or desiring to blend in, but because in that moment, I could not restrain myself. And it's clear from from the rest of the book and the other things that Ruth has written that the reason that he was so carrying away had nothing to do with being overwhelmed with the beauty of newly recognized truth. That wasn't it. He just got caught up in all of the crowd dynamics. The catchy, upbeat number with all the sights and the sounds and everything you can do to affect that. This is an agnostic, unregenerate man that could not restrain himself from praising in that moment. Again, as I say, I think there's a place for something that's dreamy. Um, the, The book of Psalms has poetry and musical Notations that, that, that reflect a broad range of moods. I, I think there's even a place um, for a men's quartet um, singing All Fly Away or something of that nature. Um, that, that kind of stuff would really get my pastor excited when I was a boy. I mean, seriously, the men's quartet would sing. My pastor, when I was a younger boy, wore his cowboy boots all the time, and he always had a handkerchief, and... Um, and if the men's quartet was really nailing it, um, the out would come the handkerchief, and there would be a variety of amens and hee-haws and everything else uh, mixed in. Okay, but brethren, what I'm also saying is that I've been around it enough to know that I don't think there's a problem with cowboy boots and yee-haw and clapping along that stuff. But I do know this. If it gets mixed up in the whole sacred arena... You could think you had a spiritual blessing, but what you had was just a good, down-home, fun feeling. You could think you had a spiritual blessing, but what you had was a dreamy, nostalgic, sentimental thing, and it certainly adds to it that you, that you put Jesus in. And I, I hate to even use the expressions I'm about to, but, but, but there are far too many Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs and and i i mean i'm just now i'm way out but there's far too many jesus is my homeboy kind of songs today loving god with your whole heart soul mind and strength is not the same thing as falling in love with jesus in anything that resembles the typical romantic type model there's nothing of that sort promoted and encouraged in the bible Jonathan Edwards, in the days after the Great Awakening, he wrote a great deal about the difference between passions and affections. And he did because there were people that, there were some evangelists that were always trying to stir up physical responses. They were trying to target emotions that would get people physically responding. And and some people connected Edwards' ministry to evangelists that were trying to stir that kind of thing up. And Edwards had the right in defense about the real work of God. But one of the things that he wrote about was the difference between passions and affections. Passions, he said, are what a person experiences almost involuntarily without any thought whatsoever. 
Okay, they, they bypass the, the intellect. They result in a subjective physical response. They aren't necessarily wrong. They're just, part of, they're just part of what is part of our makeup. But they can't be trusted as something that is objective. And, you know, have you ever laughed just because you saw someone else laughing? Okay? You see them laughing. You're not even sure what they're laughing about. But the fact that they're laughing, you start laughing. That they're laughing. Have you ever cried? When you saw somebody else crying. You didn't even know why they were crying. I'm not sure that it would happen today. My wife just looked at Daniel. I'm sorry. I was trying not to look. <clears throat> but Daniel has always had big features. Okay, big lips, big nose, big eyes. And when little Daniel would sit in, in the car seat, if he ever saw a mom crying, or he'd sit in his... In his um, seat at the table if he if, if he ever saw my wife crying he didn't know what it was but if he saw mama crying you know what's happening we'd look big tear balls coming daniel's face because mama's crying and i'm crying because mama's crying i don't even know why <clears throat> but something made mama cry it's a sad day okay those those are things that are they're they're part of us okay but they can just come up without really our, our inner man being engaged affections as opposed to passions and and you could read i mean edwards has a whole religious affections which is four or five hundred pages and but there's other smaller excerpts where he where where he's defending this kind of thesis from the scripture but he talks about affections that are volitional responses to truth they're not immediate they're developed. They aren't fleeting. They last. They involve the whole man, the mind, and the will, and the emotions. Not just the emotions. And true affectionate responses of worship will be based on understanding of truth, not a fleeting passion that quickly rises up and, and, and then goes away. Think about this. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 says to set your affections on things above. Set them, turn them intentionally, purposefully on something because of what the scripture says is the value of that. And it's to be intentional. And Ed Edwards again expressed the concern that if you target the passions, it'll actually work against the development of true affections. And I know we don't all have to do everything the same, but... Um, Brother, I've learned over the years that I, I could get, and I'm, I'm serious, I, you know, I was a youth pastor of 230 young people, and I preached revival meetings myself and youth meetings myself. And there were times where I knew how to get responses. Get hands up. Get people standing. Get them down the aisle. Get them to feel good about my preaching. But there's a time where everybody has to settle. Are you preaching for an immediate response? Or are you preaching for the word moving in people as they go away and it continuing to transform their lives? And again, if we target the passions, we could actually, we could actually start to develop in people an appetite for an aura. And they have to have the aura before they feel like they got the spiritual blessing. And it ends up operating contrary 
through the development of, of true affections. The style of the sound should fit the doctrine-filled, God-centered content. And the goal of all of the change is greater measures of Christ's likeness, teaching and admonishing so that people become more like Christ. And then, a last quality that we'll note tonight, and we're going to pick up, Lord willing, next time. Uh, a last quality from this passage is that to have a positive spiritual impact, the, the music needs to be an offering to the Lord. The music needs to be an offering to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to who? To the Lord. So the whole package of what we've been looking at, the text, the sound, the musician, the musicianship must be to the Lord. When in our philosophy of ministry we spent time on, on worship as a whole, we noted that worship is communicating to God that we regard him as glorious. That's what worship is. We're saying to God by what we say and by what we do that we believe you are uniquely excellent in all that you are. The repeated calls to do that uh, in the Bible are to do it with, in the beauty of holiness, with an attitude of reverence. All of that is to say it's about God and it's not about me. It's about what reflects God, not what reflects man. It should be about what pleases God, not what pleases man. And, and that gets down to this, brethren. I, I hope you will be honest tonight, okay? Not, not just about think about others, but be honest about yourself. Okay, the fact that I like a sound or that a sound makes me feel good or the, the, the fact that a visitor might like the sound, that's not the standard. Okay, what if fleshly music is a form of expression people are using to worship God because those people are still fundamentally flawed. Right? Turn over to 1 John chapter 4, if you will. 1 John chapter 4. I was going to just mention this in passing. You can see it. We could work through multiple verses in this text. But I want you to see 1 John 4 and verse 1. This is part of what, one of the foundation texts of Edwards' whole teaching on this arena. But he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they have got, are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. All right? So <clears throat> try, test, discern. That's where we were. Skip down to verse number four, if you will. When he picks this theme up, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Okay? Think about that connection. 
worldlings speak in worldly ways, and who hears? Who responds to them? Who do they connect with? Worldlings. And I'm, I'm clearly expressing with, with great concern something that some could react to, but I, I fear that in many cases, the reason why some of the sounds of the world's baser, if I say this way, more fleshly, musical styles, the reason why some of those sounds are connecting with so-called worshipers is because they are still worldlings at heart. And I, I do mean to say that I think that many of those so-called worshipers are actually unregenerate. That they are unsaved. There has been no true transformation of their inner man. And brethren, I know that is the case with some. Because firsthand personal interaction with individuals, we would all agree, are lost people. But they love contemporary Christian music. When our kids were playing sports in the high school arena, I would talk to uh, various leadership of of different teams. I'd say if there's certain required events that (coughs) we'll have them there for, but we're going to do some other things. And I would would talk to them in particular about the weight room. And and I wasn't trying to get everybody to change for us. I just wanted them to understand (coughs) why... Daniel, for instance, was going to hit the weight room hard, but he wasn't always going to be in where they, where the team was in the weight room because of the music that was in there. And from time to time, I'd actually have a coach say to me, thank you for saying something. I'm so glad that a parent said it. And because a parent said it, I can go in there and <coughs> change it. I mean, seriously, some of the things that they're playing in certain sporting events, if those young people acted on it, they'd all be arrested. I mean, they're, they're pumping stuff into their heads that is literally illegal. <clears throat> but they would know and understand and make some adjustments. And one day I was going in to pick up Daniel out of the weight room. And I heard what I was used to hearing of the rock music coming out of the weight room. I'm talking at Whitewater High School. And I heard the, I heard the rock music coming out of there. I was just thinking, go in. Tactful, gracious, whatever. Let's get the anal out and get on the move. I got at the door, and one of his football teammates said to me, Hey, Mr. Fuller, you like this one? And he was referring to the music. I'm like, what's he talking about? All of a sudden, I heard Jesus. And another few seconds, I heard Grace. And what was being played in that weight room was Chris Tomlin's version of Amazing Grace. With its bridge and all of that. And that very song has been done in some ministerial chapel context. It's coming out of Whitewater High School's locker uh, uh, weight room. It sounded like the rock music I was used to hearing coming out of there. And the very kid that said to me, hey, Mr. Fuller, do you like this? It's a boy that we'd invited to church. 
He came to Daniel's baptism. He came to another time and got upset on uh, teaching on creationism. But that same boy, within hours of that whole thing, saying how much he loved Chris Tomlin's amazing grace, had just been talking dirty about another teammate's mom who had walked by. And I'm giving all the detail to say this, brethren, that sometimes the reason why these so-called worshipers are loving the music is because they're unregenerate and it's connecting with, with their carnal nature. I witnessed to the police chief who's a lady and her husband who coached Samuel in baseball. I coached their son in football. They sat down beside me one time at a park and started talking about a variety of things. And <clears throat> They were youth sponsors at the United Methodist Church. I witnessed to them, witnessed to them, witnessed to them. They're not saved. They're not saved today. I just saw some things on, on Facebook posted. They clearly do not have a comprehension of the gospel yet to this day. But they talked to me about taking their kids to a Christian rock concert. And the lady actually said to me, it would have brought tears to your eyes to have heard a thousand teenagers screaming the name of Jesus. And I thought, yes, it would have. It would have, but not tears of joy. There's a reason why it's connecting. There's no true transformation of the inner man. But brethren, I could say that about more than just unsaved and unregenerate. Sometimes the music could be connecting with worldliness that still resides in the heart of a genuine child of God. Right? The Apostle Paul wrote, even as a mature believer, in my flesh dwells what? No good thing. I'll admit this to you. I think many of you would admit it too. There are sounds to this day that my flesh likes that I know are not good for the development of wholesome affections. Would you say that? <laughs> there are sounds that your carnal nature likes that are not good for the development of wholesome affections. And what's going on is that in many cases, there are Christian leaders that are deciding to give our young people those sounds. Those same sounds that some of you got saved out of when they captivated and stirred up all of that in you. Give them the same sounds and they love it. But what it's connecting with is not the work of the Spirit in the heart. <clears throat> when, when my music, like any other part of my lifestyle, reflects God, there will be a noticeable difference from the sounds of an unregenerate culture. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I was discipling a young couple, and 
When he got to music, this young lady that had run away from home when she was 17 met her husband, her then-husband, um, met him in a bar. He's 22. And when we met them, he wasn't saved. She believed she was and spent time discipling them. And, and in many ways, they're growing. And, and we got to the whole matter of music. And I barely touched it. And she... And she started talking to me about, and, it, and she showed me, and it was hard rock, hard rock, Christian hard rock. Wow, I think it was, W-O-W, some of you may have heard of it. And she was trying to say, oh, that music you know, helps me draw near to God. And her husband, who's just almost raw in, trans, in his transparency, and he never did call me pastor, which is fine, <clears throat> but he goes, ah, ah, Melissa, come on, I'm going to have to give this one to Tom. Okay, this is a new believer. I'm going to have to give this one to Tom. Because he's like, I know that sound. And I know what that sound made me want to do when I heard it in the bar. And honestly, in the face of that, she just had to shut down. Here's the raw transparency of that. Brethren, there's there's something we are missing about the holiness of God and the ramifications on our life. When the same thing, whether it's a country bar, whatever other setting it is, and all the dance and all the fightings and all the drunkenness and all the immorality that goes with it. it it's connecting with the carnal nature in us. And boy, you can imagine how this is why people flock to worship settings, flock to worship settings. Where you can get your fill of your carnal appetite and Jesus too. It's the same kind of syncretism in the Old Testament of the people of God wedding with the the Canaanite pagan cultures around them. We finished last time with admitting that it, it isn't always crystal clear where the dividing line is between good music and bad music. And you know, this is what, and I would in particular go back to, go back to um, the question not of what's immoral, but maybe what's just, you know, happy, 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 or dreaming nostalgic sentimental, um, and, and it can be confused for a spiritual blessing. <clears throat> I don't know where all those lines are. I, I, I'm certain it's clear to God, but because of the limits of our humanity and we can't see the line that God has set. But what do we do? What do we do about any of these arenas, brethren, when, when I don't know what you, word you want to use, but you might say it, it's foggy. It just, it's not clear to me. I don't know how to wrestle through it. I would love to have a list. Couldn't you just get the approved list? And do we, just, do we end up just saying, well, it's not clear, so... It's all neutral, and since it's neutral, it doesn't matter. Okay, if we're talking about the worship of God, we're talking about something that impacts the makeup of the whole person. We're talking about something that the Bible says communicates messages. We can't just say, it doesn't matter. We have to keep wrestling with it. Um, 
one man was talking about this in, in the whole realm of music, and he started to use some other illustrations. When do you know a guy needs a haircut? Like, do you know the exact day or the exact moment long has become long? Okay, well, I don't, I don't know. I probably, you know, who needs a haircut in here today? Okay, some of you are thinking, oh, I should have got a haircut yesterday. Or, <laughs> you know, not, I'm not talking moral. You're just like, I need to get cleaned up a little. How do you know that? Does, well, you say, we don't really know. I mean, it, it wasn't sent on Friday. I don't think it's going to be sent on Monday. Okay, but th- does that mean that we never know when a guy needs a haircut? Are we never able to say, that guy needs a haircut? When, when has a praise band, a praise team, become a praise team? Is it, you know, two singers? Is it three singers? Is it the very presence of a single guitar? Is that the clincher? Okay. We may not be able to nail all that down but brethren you know when you move away from a song leader leading worship and you've got multiple singers with all their own microphones and the assortment of instruments that you'd find in a country band on the stage you have a praise team then you are mimicking the look made popular by the bands of an unregenerate world well all the while the scripture says don't be conformed to the world Walk in contrast to the world, as he which has called you is holy, be holy in all manner of conversation. And when we wrestle with that, we're back to where we finished last time. And I'm, just, I'm not going back there just because I don't know what else to say. I'm going back there because it's where we keep being challenged. This calls on us to practice discernment in carefully evaluating every form of communication and every expression of worship by God's revelation in the scripture. Sincerity in worship is not enough. Practicing discernment about the forms of worship is a way to express love and honor to the Lord. People say, oh, I'm, I, you know, all this focus on style and sound, oh, I'm just stifled from expressing my love to the Lord. But, that, but that's not Philippians 1. Philippians 1, remember, this I pray that your love may grow more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things excellent and be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. It's not loving to just say, don't bother me with that. It's loving to take the time to put the effort into how does it communicate? The sound, the accessories, the aura, everything. The performance practice, how does it all go into crafting an imagination of who God is and what it means to respond to him and what sin is in light of who God is, what it means to be a disciple? How does all of that communicate? And love says, I'm not just going to go with what I feel like. Love is, I want to pursue things that are excellent. That my own life continue to be sincere and growing. And that I would be without offense in the influence I have on others. Until the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness. 
which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's where we want to head with it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight? Just want to give opportunity for you to talk with the Lord very briefly at this point. We may need to be, Lord, I'm willing to come back and I want to take another look at all of this. But I, I want to say to you now that if, Lord, if I'm convinced through the scripture, I'm convinced through the combination of the means of grace, including the leadership that you've, that you've put into my life. And I, I want to say to you, young people, Paul wrote to Timothy to continue in the things which he had learned and had been assured of, knowing of whom he had learned them. From a child, he's known the Holy Scriptures and so on. You don't have perfect parents. If you're in this church, you don't have a perfect pastor. And you don't have one in your home church either. But there is something that is very real about this appeal for you to continue in what your God-fearing mom and dad have taught you. And for you to continue in what your God-fearing pastor has taught you. That's not incidental to this whole thing. You know them. You observe their life. You know they are perfect, but you know them, and you know they're real. And you know they're genuine. And you may have dozens, dozens of peers. Maybe you even have some teachers in some other setting that are influencing you and encouraging you down a a different direction. You could take a hundred peers, and I'm I'm serious, in the sight of God, a hundred peers can't outweigh the role that God intends for your one dad to have or your one mom and her scriptural taught conscience to have. And some don't have that. I understand that, but some of you do. And that needs to weigh in heavily. And at some level, you're just going to say, Lord, use, use your word. I'm willing to put the time in and the effort in to do even the information gathering. And I do want to pursue what's excellent, not just what is the lowest common denominator. And I do want to give appropriate weight even to the God-fearing people that have taught me. And if you say something goes, it goes. And give me grace and help. 